0: 37-year wait is over. American Football.
1: Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the TVG podcast, episode number 12 here. So, as you all know, we are continuing at TVG to try to bring you live racing to the best of our abilities uh, with the safety of all our colleagues at the forefront of our mind. It's a it's a strange time. Um, there's no two ways about it. It is a scary time. We don't really talk much about COVID-19 and the coronavirus on the airwaves uh, for a number of reasons. One, we're not a news outlet. We are not experts in the field. And I think the last thing anybody wants is us positing our opinions on, on science and policy. Two, because I think all of my colleagues and I have really taken it to heart. We are one measure of escape from the daily news cycle, right? We are one distraction. We are that little bit of normalcy back into the mind and the eyes of a horse player. As long as horse racing can continue through this, and I hope it can throughout all of it until we get to the end of this pandemic. I believe, you know, we'll be doing it with that in mind. Uh, We have welcomed in new audiences. We'll talk with um, our president and CEO, Kip Levin, later on the program, and we'll get more into that. We have changed the way we do things, as everybody has changed the way they can do their job. People who are lucky enough to keep working through this. Thankfully, a number of us can do our jobs from home. But it's a, it's a crazy time. I, I want to get into this topic here on the podcast in episode 12. And I'm not saying I won't visit this topic throughout future episodes. But I think this episode, it's important that we take a look at it. And not only are we going to talk to Kip, we're going to talk to Jess Stafford. And you remember her. She was the original host of the TVG podcast. She launched the podcast uh, for Betfair in the UK before coming here and spending time with us to get this thing rolling. She's going to be um, on the line from Britain talking about how their industry, which is basically completely shut down now. Um, We're going to talk about this coronavirus through the lens of racing and how different it is between the UK and the US. Why we're still able to race here, but yet overseas, they have to shut down and they have shut down. And how all of this unfolded with the backdrop of of their biggest week of racing uh, on the entire island. It's been crazy We have the Florida Derby coming up. It is now become basically the Kentucky Derby. This is the biggest three-year-old race left um, on the calendar that is not going to be affected by um, the, uh, the shelter at home or the lockdowns or whatever you call it. And, you know, we still have to look forward to see how racing copes going forward and how long the racetracks that are shut down are going to stay shut down. But I will say that the best hour and a half, two hours, three hours of my day thus far has been doing the shows and being able to work from home and do some broadcasting and just, you know, lose myself in some past performances or make some smart owl comments on the air and, and interact with people on social media. For me, it's been somewhat therapeutic as it has been for many of my colleagues. And it's a very serious situation. And just like all of you at home, we face it in the news in the morning and the news at night. And we have our lives are affected. I have two teenagers who are out of school right now. Um, They have been home for a couple of weeks. They've just now been able to start schooling from home online through Zoom calls or Skype or Instagram or however their teachers see fit. So they do actually have a routine. So there is a little bit of routine getting back into their lives. I also have a nine-month-old at home and I have a wife who works from home and we have no childcare now because of the same reason nobody has any childcare right now because daycares have been shut down and we can't afford to bring in, you know, another person into the mix here when we're trying to reduce our risk of exposure to the coronavirus. So now, you know, my days are as a nanny when I'm not working. And when I'm working, my wife is the nanny. We are constant parents on duty. So we're two full-time working parents. We have three kids, two teenagers, and a nine-month-old. And it's difficult. And the best part of my day is when I get to do a television show for TPG. The best part of my day is when I get to do this podcast. So that's how it's affecting me, and I'm sure it's affecting all of you. We're going to talk about how it's affecting TVG. I think you all know how it's affecting the racing industry. I don't know that I'm in a position to have these grandiose opinions because I don't know how states are dealing with it specifically other than what I see and read that you see and read, right? I, I don't want to say... Oh, they should, they shouldn't. I don't want to get into that because I don't really know. I know I'm thankful for the racetracks that are running. Whether or not a racetrack is racing, we have racetracks that are homes and training centers to the most thoroughbreds in the world, right? Santa Anita is the largest training center in the world. Whether racing at Santa Anita or not, there's going to be 1,500 to 2,000 horses there that need to be cared for. So... I do get that. I do understand that. And I do agree that because of that, it, it enables us to keep racing. I also think that in this day and age, and it's, it's, I don't want to say it's callous to say this, but it's, it's probably been a little taboo to say anything. There is a reality of the economic impact of what the, the pandemic is doing. And if you're in an industry that can still operate, I don't want to say it's your responsibility, but you know, that ability to operate and keep commerce moving is very helpful at a time when the economy is suffering. And if you can still operate, you have to hope that, you know, you're willing to do so. And hopefully, you know, there's a little bit of a positive side that racing is providing, not just for entertainment, not just for some normalcy, not just for me to have a distraction, but for the economy as a whole, for the country as a whole, that there is at least one sector that is still moving, albeit, you know, much smaller scale and a little bit slower than it was moving prior to two weeks ago. At any rate, this episode's going to be a little different. I am going to keep Cinco to Cinco in here because this is the first time we've had my, my boss, Kip Levin, on the show, and I'm not going to let him get out of Cinco to Cinco. And then we'll also have Jess Stafford on. But um, thank you for joining us. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with Kip Levin after this. Aren't you tired of expensive cable packages? Now you can watch all of TVG's offerings in crystal clear high definition with the new Watch TVG app. Gain access to exclusive content, handicapping on demand, and TVG's greatest hits, including many award-winning features. Download for free now on Amazon Fire, Roku, and Apple TV, or visit tvg.com/promos/watch for even more information. Well, everyone, I'm uh, pleased to be joined on the line by Kip Levin, who's the uh, president and CEO of TVG, and everything that we do here, it starts and ends with him, and he is my boss. Although, Kip, I have to say, I don't think I've ever taken a direct command from you or have ever had to work with you in any capacity.
2: Well, I actually would challenge you on that one. I mean, you did my interview when I started six years ago at the TVG Pacific Classic Del Mar. I was still learning the sports, and you had to explain to me, or I had to instruct you to explain to me, what I was supposed to say and not supposed to say, because I was still coming up what felt like a very steep learning curve at the time.
1: Yeah, we'll get into that, because I, I think one of the things that all of us that have worked for you for the last six years really love about you is that you really embraced horse racing when you came in. Um, I can't, let's just start there. We have plenty of time to talk about the serious stuff. But I think the thing is, you came from, from Ticketmaster, and you came from a background that had no racing involved. So you had to like really kind of just hit the ground running and learn this sport but you really did embrace it. And, you know, now, you know, we'll walk up into the eighth floor and you're, you know, saying, did you guys see that? We got Kent DeSormo at six to one on this horse at Santa Anita. I mean, like you're, you've really jumped in with both feet, haven't you? <laughs>
2: uh, I have, you know, I always say what made it easy for me was obviously one being around everybody that is so passionate about the sport and talking about it and just huge fans all day long. So that certainly made it easy. But, you know, like I would say California Chrome won the Kentucky Derby three weeks after I started. And just to see, the excitement and enthusiasm around that. There was so much sort of love and, and, and passion for him that, you know, it's hard not to fall in love with the sport overnight and jumped right in. And, you know, now I'm a huge fan and, and I love bringing people out, new people out to the track. Obviously, you know, got my family, you know, out quite a bit and turn them into fans of it, but, but also bring friends and other families and so on. So you'll always hear me say, I'm really bullish about the future, current situation, notwithstanding. And, and I think
1: there's nothing but upside. Well, okay. it's impossible for us to have a conversation without talking about what's going on in the world with the pandemic and COVID-19 and how it's affected all of us, especially here in Southern California, which is where we're all based. Um, The first thing I want to ask you is is how personally, how are you doing? Because if you're like me, you have children that have been, you know, taken out of school and and placed at home. You've you've had to change your work life and your family life. So everything's based out of the house. How, How has this affected you?
2: Yeah, it's pretty pretty dramatically, um, as I'm sure it's affected you. And you know, and Dean and the kids are, are doing well. The house has become a mix of an office. I'm now sort of two weeks into working from home. Um, I think we were pretty far ahead of the curve in terms of moving most of our employees to a work from home situation. Uh, amazing to think about how how different life is from
1: where it was you know, two three weeks ago. Yeah, it, it moves really fast, and then as far as as an executive right so I, I was telling you before we got on the air i was saying look i i don't most people unless you're an executive i don't really know what executives do i know you're in charge i know it's you're important but you know, your day to day as far as work is totally foreign to what I do. Like my job pretty easy. I put on makeup. I talk about little guys riding horses in circles for money. Like I can do that, you know, lather, rinse, repeat over and over again. But for you, you have to make a lot of important decisions. And when all of this is happening, it's not like we can go to the playbook for the pandemic from 2004. Right. Like we have no experience, first of all, in a workplace, but generationally we have we have no reference point. And I don't know if there's really a reference point until you go back over 100 years to the the Spanish flu of 1918. So for you, how how did this hit you, and and how does the executive team have to pivot and change and make decisions?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. There is no playbook. There's very sort of little, even past experience to draw upon uh, to deal with something like this. You know, I think somebody was asking, how did you make all these decisions? Were you in consultation with uh, public health officials and all the things? It's like, no, there's no, you know, they're all busy, right? Like we there's nobody, you know, we're having to make decisions as we go. And I think for us, it all comes down to the health and safety of our employees. And every decision is grounded on what's best for employees. So I, I do think it's been uh, a crazy couple of weeks. You know, obviously we, I think we were ahead of the curve in terms of pushing most of the employees to work from home. You know, we were already planning on a reduced, footprints of people in the office to, to keep the studio running and you know that sort of got accelerated as as the order came down in california so again like this as you said the information was just coming in sort of fast and furiously you know we didn't know what tracks were going to continue to run we had this other weird situation where you know you have the rest of the sports largely shutting down um you know we were getting calls from the big network to say hey can we simulcast your your broadcast and so on so That all these variables sort of hitting at once, information changing every day. We have daily stand-ups now with the whole leadership team every morning on D.C. for a half an hour where we're sitting and going through the day and, you know, the decisions that we had to make the the previous day. But everything comes back to, you know, making sure that we are making the right decisions that are prioritizing the the, the health and safety of, of the team. Look, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't understand what you guys have had to go through as well. You know, everybody's from home. I think, you know, that's, that's a very different environment for, for you to have to do your job. So I think there are some, some, a lot of similarities in terms of like everybody's had to make a, a big adjustment and, and figure it out. There's no real modern historical perspective for what we're having to deal with.
1: Right. And I, I think, you know, we're fortunate enough that we can do our jobs from home. And in fact, later today, on our camera woman's going to come by and, and, and install a camera here. And most of our honor talent have a camera installed at their home so we can continue on i want to get on a topic of of the changing role of horse racing now because horse racing has been all that tvg is about right we're number one broadcaster of horse racing in the world and we are the number one adw in the country and horse racing is is our bread and butter the the corporate umbrella though under which we exist we have diversified you know through betfair paddy power and then with the 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 partnering with fanduel and and that merger so we've ventured into sports betting. We've ventured into online casino. We've ventured into these other areas, okay, and in a very large way. But now horse racing, once again, has taken a different role. Describe what that's been like for you with horse racing really being thrust front and center in in that whole mix of, of different, you know, gambling output that we have.
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, we're you know part of the FanDuel business now, sort of the legalization of sports betting you know, that business has been pretty dramatically impacted, obviously, by the sort of near shutdown of everything. You know, going back to what I said about the the other networks are are calling us and saying, hey, we can we broadcast horse racing now? And, you know, this weekend, as you probably know, you know, we will be simulcasting TVG for um, four hours a day on, on Saturday and Sunday onto NBC Sports Network. You know, if you think about TVG, we're carried in 45 million homes. NBC Sports Network's in 80 million homes. So there's a lot of new eyes on the sport. And, you know, and again, I think there's an opportunity for people who, who wouldn't have otherwise tuned in and paid attention aside from sort of the normal, you know, triple crown who are going to be paying attention. And it's under obviously unfortunate circumstances, but um, it's, it's an interesting, you know, you think about my own sort of personal experience. I got exposed to it and became a fan really in a short period of time. And I do think that, um, you know, I do think that there, that opportunity exists. For us, actually, we've been we've been planning on it. We thought we've used sports betting to be an opportunity for, you know, as we sort of are building out our sports betting business in a variety of states. You know, we've been doing things, especially around big race days, to cross-promote racing. Last year, we did it both against the sports betting business and also the daily fantasy business and promoting people over to CBG and saw a lot of interest. We built a, a, a new ADW site uh, under the FanDuel brand called FanDuel Racing. Um, and we did that to sort of build a, a beginner's, ADW for people who didn't know really how it worked, you know, I think we launched it in January this year, um, over the last couple of weeks, there's all these new people who are coming into the sport, know, a ton of, of of interest in that too. Sports betting in general, taking the current situation out of it, is a huge opportunity for it. You know, I think we're excited about, you know, using that as a as a way to bring a a a bigger audience to, to the
1: sport. And you know, our our parent corporation has you know, uh, betting shops and, and operations like this in, in many countries. And I know that, in, and you and other people had kind of brought this to my attention, that sports bet in, in Australia was really kind of a good, kind of a, 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 a window into how sports betting can accentuate horse racing. Because when sports betting went legal in Australia, they saw a natural growth in the interest and the wagering on horse racing.
2: For sure. I mean, look, it was already a a, a very, you know, popularized you've been down there now for a couple big events and it was already i think mean, more popular than it is here so it was starting from a better spot but yeah for sure like if you go and look at the sports betting apps in australia like ours with sports bet you know it's, it's horse racing it's nba it's everything all in one i do think actually that's the way that the market eventually evolves here um i think that it'll all come together you'll have a single app on your phone you know and you'll be able to bet on an nfl game and you'll be able to bet on a race right next to each other right it'll be all in one wouldn't make sense that you'd have standalone apps for sort of standalone sports. So I do think that that, it will go that direction, you know, over the coming years. And I think that will, again, beat up the opportunity for for getting more people interested in
1: sports or in racing. So now, you know, we're in an interesting spot and it's more just, you know, as opposed to like how it affects the nuts and bolts of the business. Um, And the, the cross promotion and the growth of horse racing through the advent of sports betting was something that was always, you know, on the horizon for, you know, our company, our parent corporation and whatnot. But away from that, just it's a different role that horse racing is playing in people's lives right now. I mean, I have friends texting me who have never watched a horse race in their life, you know, asking me who I like in the Louisiana Derby and and opening up accounts and betting because there's no other thing on there. But it's not just about getting the action. It's about just having whether you want to call it a distraction, whether you want to call it you know, a, a level of normalcy, just having something there that isn't the 24-hour news cycle reminding you of what is is facing us out in the real world. It's that, I don't know, I mean, do you feel like TVG kind of has a responsibility to help people just get away for those few moments?
2: I do. I think one of the decisions we made sort of in the middle of all the chaos was we need to change the way that we actually talk on the air, right? Like you guys need to shift from, talking about, you know, pick four tickets and pick five tickets, pick six tickets to talking about win bets and how you sort of think about, you know, picking a horse in a race and so on, because all of a sudden, you know, we we largely cater to a television audience that is very knowledgeable about the sport. And, and, and we changed that overnight. I mean, and you guys did a phenomenal job of of adapting to that overnight as well, right. On top of having to go from being in a studio with all the tools that you use in the studio and all the support you get when you're in there to, basically doing it on your own from home and, oh, by the way, change the way that you're talking about the race and, and breaking down the race and picking a horse to win versus how you constructed your pick-forter, pick, right? So, so I do think that that was something that we did very well, very fast, and you know, was just incredibly impressed with the team's ability to be agile and, and you know, just, just change on the fly. All
1: right. Well, I, I really appreciate you joining me, but all my guests, before they leave the podcast, they've got to go through the gauntlet known as Cinco to Thinko. It's a five-question quiz show, so I'm giving you four questions. Um, all the answers are what my answer is. Uh, there, there's no checking this by fact or Googling the right, correct answer. And then the final question, the fifth question, is the Kent or Corey bonus question. So the answer to the fifth question is always Kent DeSormo or Corey Nakatani, right? It's a coin flip. Yeah. Are you ready for this? I am ready. Okay, so we're going to focus on your talent team because, let's be honest, we're the most fun to hang out with. So I just want to know, <laughs> is this a, this a test to see how well you know us all, Okay. Okay. All right. First, first question. We've got Kip Levin on Cinco to Cinco here. First question. the uh, One of the, the, the foundation breeds of, of American racehorses are the Arabians, and we still have Arabian racing a little bit in this country, but still on the Arabian Peninsula. It's a very celebrated breed. What TVG talent once attempted to race an Arabian horse on foot?
2: Uh, so I, I'm going to go with, with you.
1: No. Incorrect. The correct answer is... Todd Shrub in the heyday of the quarter, circa two thousand two, two thousand three, he actually raced an Arabian. He was on the infield and he ran from the eighth, uh, from the sixteenth pole home, and because Arabians run much slower than quarter horses or thoroughbreds, and he did lose. If you were curious,
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I knew the answer to that one. Yeah. Um, as soon as you, you told me what the uh, the original answer was. Okay, so, okay, let's see if we can do better.
1: Okay, so uh, now we're going to go to um, alcoholic beverages of choice. Which TVG talent absolutely abhors bourbon and avoids it like the plague?
2: Well, I should know this one because I certainly have had a few, um, <laughs> a few dinners. With you guys. Seriously, um, as far as
1: I know, you're the chief executive officer in charge of dinners on Pacific Classic Weekend. Because that's really <laughs> when we get to see you the most.
2: Yeah, I'm just trying to think. We're, u- we're usually just ripping through bottles of wine. And, I- and I'm
1: trying to remember if anybody's ever tried to order a flight of bourbon to the table. They don't who, think no, not, who so. hates bourbon, though?
2: No, I know, I know, I know. Yeah. I'm just trying to remember who who said no, and I don't remember anybody ever turning down a drink at uh, <laughs> any of the
1: dinners. I've it's 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 a tough thing to find in our crew.
2: Yeah. So I would, yeah, Scott Hazelton.
1: Oh, he loves it. I mean, he bathes in it. He li- He basically okay. lives half the year. No, that would be yours truly, Mike Joyce. I hate bourbon. Can I, It's and it's a care. it's a hard thing to admit working in really? horse racing. Yeah, because we're so. F-
2: well, you, you need to sp- you need to spend. By the way, that on top of you know growing a, a a love for horse racing, the other thing that I've acquired along the way over the course of the, six, the last six years is the love for purpose as well. So. Well, um, we well, spent a lot of time in Kentucky. It's, you're clearly not spending enough time in, in Kentucky. So no, we'll, here's we'll the thing,
1: but I did that. See, my wife loves bourbon, and we did the bourbon trail. I, I tried for three or four years, because I love having a cocktail, and I tried to, like, I did the tastings with the chocolate and the hints and all of this stuff, and I'll tell you, the day I decided I knew I bourbon was wasted on me is I was at a bar with a couple of my friends. I was in Colorado, old college buddies, and they had Pappy Van Winkle. I don't remember what, but it was, a, it was $120 a pour. And we ordered it. We're like, forget it. Let's do it. And I drank it, and it tasted like Jim Beam. And I'm like, you know what? I, I'm never drinking bourbon again. <laughs> this is totally wasted on well, me.
2: I, I guess that's fair. If you didn't like Tabogam then you're probably not going to ever like
1: bourbon. So. Okay, this, this okay, no, <laughs> so let's see if we can turn this around. Okay, so, you got, uh, so you're 0 for 2. You've got a softball for me? Come on. This one, yeah, right on time. Question number 3 is an absolute softball. You should be able to get this. Who is the tallest member of the TVG on-air team? The tallest member.
2: So it's gotta be Todd or Kurt Hoover. I'll go
1: with Kurt. Kurt Hoover, you are correct. Standing at six feet seven inches tall, Kurt Hoover. Is
2: that right? Six feet seven. I didn't yeah. actually realize he was that tall.
1: Yeah, he might have actually shrunk an inch, and in, you know, now that he's uh, well into his fifties, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think six seven is what he's he's listed at it in his high school yearbook. Okay, here's another one. This one's gonna be tough. This one's gonna. It's if you think about it, I think if you if you really like broke it down, I don't know if we're gonna give you enough time. You could probably figure it out, but. Um, I need you to name, there are two TVG talent that hold a degree in broadcast journalism. Name one of them. Just give me one of the two members of the on-air team that actually has a degree in broadcast journalism. And I'll give you a hint. One of them is not me. <laughs> if you really think about it, high measure of professionalism, excellent skill set, clearly knows what, what is going on. There are two members. Yeah,
2: I'll go back to my my mistaken bourbon one and say Scott Hazleton.
1: Scott Hazleton is correct. The two members of our team with a broadcast journalism degree are Scott Hazleton and I thought the layup was Christina Blacker. She has her broadcast yeah. journalism degree from USC. Okay, so you're yeah, um you're surprised. so you're you're two for you're two for four thus far. So now we're down to the Kent or Corey bonus question. So the answer is Kent or Corey, and you should you should be able to get this one. It's <laughs> Kent Sormo or Corey Nakatani. Which one of these two jockeys won the 2014 Breeders' Cup Juvenile?
2: Yeah, I I was with you watching that race, right? Yes, so, you uh, were. I was to Kent, Kent on Texas Red, right?
1: Bingo! Kent DeSormo on Texas Red. Excellent work.
2: Name the horse. Yeah. Yep,
1: yeah, that's right, Texas Red because I so gave I get that bonus horse points or, Yes, yeah. absolutely because I gave that horse to because you asked me for a horse and I gave it and we gave it to your you had your father and your father-in-law there. And so they both yep. cashed on that. It was like the like that's the yep. only winner I gave out like all day. Fifteen
2: to one. Yep, yep. I remember it very well.
1: Awesome, excellent. Well, hey, Kip, uh, just on behalf of uh, all of us, um, um, we uh, that work at TVG, we really appreciate your leadership through this time because, like you said, I mean, we're just as lost as anybody else in this. It's it is uh, it's a it's a frightening time. It's a crazy time. Nobody's ever seen anything like it, and we know that there's there's a lot of responsibility in your lap with all of this. So we really do appreciate uh, everything that you've been doing for us.
2: Yeah, no, thank you and, and, and thanks for, you know, the, all the great work that, that you're doing. By the way, this has been a great new program that, that you're doing and I think it's been really well received. So I'm excited to see it continue to go. And yeah, thanks for having me. Stay safe. Uh, best to everybody and, uh, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll be back together in, uh, group dinners as soon as possible. So I yeah. cannot wait.
1: All right. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, Kip uh, Levin, the. President and CEO of uh, TVG's, uh, My boss is everybody's boss, but uh, we're really happy that he could join us here on the podcast. We are going to take a break. When we return, we're going to uh, have a visit from an old friend of ours from across the Atlantic Ocean. Jess Stafford returns to the TVG podcast. Um, we're going to talk about how things are shaping up on her side of the world. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
0: Hey guys, Brittany Yurton here again. If there's any way you missed hearing the Gary Stevens and Mike Smith podcast episode, be sure to catch our exclusive broadcast of the podcast available now on the Watch TVG app. Don't know about the Watch TVG app yet? Oh, you're missing out. Be sure to head to tvg.com promos watch to learn about getting TVG and TVG2 in crystal clear, high definition from the comfort of your own home using only an Amazon Fire Stick, Apple TV, or Roku. You'll also gain access to award-winning features and interviews in the on-demand section. So be sure to visit TVG.com today to learn more about Watch TVG.
1: Well, as I promised, the original host of the TVG podcast, she also launched a very similar show in the UK for Betfair. Jess Stafford is joining us right now on the line live from the UK. Jess, uh, how are you doing?
0: Mike, I'm good. I'm, I'm so pleased to be back on the TVD podcast, just in incredibly strange circumstances. I never, in all the tea in China, which is an interesting phrase to use, um, would imagine that we'd be back discussing no racing. How
1: well, are you Mike? Well, I'm I'm okay. I think all of us are just okay here. You know, we're we're still waiting in Southern California. We've been under, you know, the, the we're calling it safer at home. There's different euphemisms, but especially a light lockdown, right? We're we're sheltering at home um, and we're on day 8 now, day 9. So, we're just kind of waiting to see how it all pans out and you know, we have a, a near disaster going in in New York City and and watching it, you know, the news constantly around the country, it's really tough to digest it all and, um, and try to, you know, kind of go about your daily business and, and keep, you know, and keep your head up. But I mean, I think that's what everyone's doing. So everyone's just a little bit on edge and, you know, the thing I wanted to, cause you know, this is, a, a racing podcast right so you and i see it through the prism of racing and i just want to get your because announcements have been made as recently as yesterday that all racing's canceled in ireland and they're not being yeah. able to con- conduct any meets i just want to get your your take and, and your finger on the pulse of of how things are unfolding in the racing community in in the uk and ireland
0: yeah so it's been a really strange roller a ride in the uk and Ireland. so for listeners that might not be aware, the UK is run by the BHA, the British Horse Racing Authority, which is very separate to Ireland. Our islands run by HRI, which is Horse Racing Island, so totally separate entities. How we're run, how it's conducted is is completely separate, but like, you know, we've got different governments as well. So the way the measures have been taken and handled have been different on both sides of the sea. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we were just finishing off the back of the Cheltenham Festival, which is our biggest racing week of the year in the UK. And on the Thursday of that week in Ireland, over in Ireland, um, the Taoiseach, which is the president there, Leo Baradka, announced very quickly that all schools were closed. And the um, announcement was made that racing in Ireland would go behind closed doors. But on that day with the day literally just before the Chatham Gold Cup, the UK was in a very different position and Boris Johnson, our Prime Minister said, Keep going, keep going as normal and the advice was no public gatherings needed to cease. So the, the Gold Cup at Cheltenham went along with sixty thousand people on the Friday, the thirteenth of March that was. Rightly or wrongly, I'm not sure. It's difficult hindsight an amazing thing. But 250,000 people went racing that week across the four days. And while the the Gold Cup was happening, racing was behind closed doors in Ireland. So two very different viewpoints. The UK continued to race that weekend. Ireland was behind closed doors. And then very suddenly and very quickly, the BHA decided in the UK that racing would go behind closed doors for the Tuesday um, which was last Tuesday the 17th and then literally in a matter of hours the decision was made the next day that racing would be suspended until the end of April. Now racing continued behind closed doors in Ireland up until yesterday for very different reasons. The biggest thing that Ireland is served by a medical system called the Order of Malta Volunteers. They're an ambulance service that are not provided by um, the public health unit. So as volunteers, they were not required um, by the Irish government, whereas in the UK, our, our, our NHS are all um, used for uh, UK racing and were needed as a priority in the UK to, to assist with this pandemic. So. Yesterday, Leo Varadkar said that all racing was ceased and essentially I'd imagine those order and multi-volunteers uh, are now needed. So we are on the same wavelength right now after being in different corners a little bit and the Irish government and the Irish and what racing is for Ireland is very different to to the sport in the UK. The island is a much smaller, smaller country of 4 million people. The the racing um, as an industry contributes to 1.8 billion of um, the Irish economy, which is a huge, it's very different in Ireland. They're a very rural country, whereas the UK is city-based and um, the uh, what we contribute racing to the UK government is slightly different. So that's to be expected that there are different decisions. I think where we are now with the pandemic, it is correct that racing is behind closed doors in both countries, considering the amount of cases and the rise that it's, it's happening on such an upward trajectory very quickly. Both countries have had to accept that racing is not bigger than this pandemic and horses and the communities and the industries will have to work together um, to be able to keep horses exercised, but with very strict rules and work can only be done only when it's essential so it's, it's very 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 strict and we're comp- complying with the, the government as best we can
1: so let me ask you this because in the states our racetracks are also our this is where horses are stabled year-round i mean a great majority of racehorses in the u.s they don't have another home their home is the racetrack so our racetracks are our training centers I know it's somewhat different in Ireland and in the UK and and how does that play into the decision cuz here in the US you can shut down racing but for the majority of racing thoroughbreds you still have to have you know the trainers and and the the stall hands and the grooms take care of those horses every day. So you're not, you can race behind closed doors or you can shut it all down. It's not going to change the number of people involved in the operation of the day-to-day very much. It's a a negligible amount. It's a couple other people to, you know, open the doors and operate the track, which they can do so, you know, quite sparsely and remotely. But in the U.S., if if they shut down the tracks, you still have everybody on the backstretch that has to be there every day to care for the animals. And I get the feeling that that's why we can still race here in the U.S., at least until this point, where... I get the sense in the UK and Ireland, there's, there, you don't have the same kind of stabling situation.
0: No, you're right, exactly, absolutely, and that gives the US leverage in that. You know, as you say, the horses need to be exercised on the same track that they'll be racing on anyway. So, you know, why why, why can't we keep them keep them racing? And, and that's a very fair point. In the UK and Ireland, the majority of trainers are in on private land and accommodation, so they they're not. No, there aren't many facilities where the tracks are also where they train the horses. There are places that U.S. viewers will be familiar with, like Newmarket, where a lot of trainers are based. Still, Newmarket as a town is separated from the racetrack. So they might be in quite close proximity to the racetrack, but they're not officially on the racetrack. So yes, they can do some exercise, but the horses are still stabled. A few miles, you know, a good distance at least away that they'll have to be transported. And that's only at Newmarket. Most trainers are hundreds of miles away from racetracks. So that requires, you know, transport, movement. And in the situation that we are right now in the UK and Ireland, where our prime ministers, our governments are telling us no essential, tra- no travel unless it's really crucial and essential is needed, means that we are, you know, not. In, we're in no way uh, in any place to move our horses around. So horses need to stay where they are stabled, and that is very far away from tracks. Now in Ireland, while it was behind closed doors, um, they were allowed to do this, they were allowed to move around. And you've got to remember, Ireland and the UK are a lot smaller than America, so actually it's just a case of, you know, getting in a truck and driving. It, there's there's no huge amount of shipping required, but it's still enough to be able to have to move people around in big spaces and the directive really is to keep in close proximity to where you live and that's what's really the big difference here and where the US have, have a bit of an advantage at least.
1: Well and the other the other news that we were given earlier this week was the cancellation or they call it the postponement, but the postponement of the Dubai World Cup and the Dubai World Cup—it's a huge event for me and for my colleagues—and because I, you know, I've had the, the pleasure of, of covering it, and I'm—I was slated to go out there this year, but in the U.S., I don't think it plays as big as it does in England and in Ireland. So, what was the response from some of the people there when they when they ended up postponing and canceling the, the Dubai World Cup? And and was it expected? Did people kind of think that's the way they were going, or was it a, a little bit of a shock?
0: Yeah, I think it was a little bit of a shock, you know, because. I think we've been expecting it to be behind closed doors for a good while. It's not like it went from one to another. It was, we're very much, they were very much prepared to have it behind closed doors. Um, And I think the timing of it was quite unexpected. Um, A lot of horses had traveled out already over to Dubai. I know Charlie Fellows, who trains Prince of Iran, who was second in the Melbourne Cup. Um, He was quite, disappointed I mean he was definitely he understood where the Dubai World Cup authorities were coming from but he was surprised at the timing that you know he had got his horse out there what did it now mean to the start his staff who were with the horse were they able to come back what are they now stuck there but it's quite it was quite sudden out of the blue but was it kind of unexpected when you've got Aidan O'Brien choosing not to send his horses out at all. So people were making decisions based on what they was right or wrong for them. And, you know, if you've got a, a big, big global uh, race meeting like this, the Royal World well Cup, very confident in themselves, and then suddenly cancelling, I think communication might not have been totally accurate. It is just a shame that, you know, no one can be anything but supportive of these decisions because at the end of the day, we're fighting something much bigger than racing.
1: So here in the States, we we have a smattering of racetracks that are still able to operate because of, you know, the the difference in the situation, the stabling situation and the arguments that have been made. And I, and quite frankly, I agree Mm -hmm. with it because the other impact, and it's really, it's, it's not in good form yet. I think they just started talking about it in the States, you know, in the last 48 hours of the news cycle is that. Look, there's there's a tremendous economic impact, right? I mean, there there is the potential of people getting sick and dying, but there's an absolute undeniable reality that you know we're getting two million jobless claims a week here, and if an industry can yeah. carry on, if an industry can still stay open through this, there is you know for me there's somewhat a responsibility to it to stay open. I've been lucky enough to, to keep working, right? I know many people yeah. aren't. I'm I'm curious as to the ancillary industries, the television networks, ITV, you know, BBC's Racing, uh, you know, the the racing network, how have they been carrying on in this? Have they gone to canned programming? Have, have they what, been doing yeah. live shows, or what have they been doing?
0: Yeah, so it's an interesting point, actually. Um, ITV Racing, which is our national broadcaster, which would be like an NBC, they were, last minute, made the decision to cover Thurlis in Ireland on Saturday, when racing was behind closed doors there, which was kind of unprecedented. Thurlis, this was a meeting which was a very small there wasn't a huge amount of high profile horses. It was a great opportunity really for some trainers and jockeys that don't really get their their names out on on, on such a far reaching network to have their day in the sun and turnover was massive. I know from a bet for exchange perspective um, where I work, um, it was up one hundred and ninety two percent which is just madness, considering this is uh, a meeting that it doesn't really attract like big or strong horses but it just that just goes to show how many people were interested in racing just for this one this one day that and it provides respite for people looking for something else outside of the the constant news and the constant you know bad and and bad updates that we're getting and and people crave something additional and racing can really provide that so that was brilliant and ITV were great to do that last minute now now that we've got no racing at all it's going to be a real challenge only today in the last couple of hours the racing post which is our trade newspaper and we're very lucky to have a newspaper like the racing post it publishes every day its uh, main priority is horse racing includes other sport and greyhounds in the back of it but 75 percent of it is racing they made the announcement today that unfortunately they'll have to suspend the publication of their print edition um, until they see it, uh valuable for them to come back into print. And this is a huge, huge knock-on effect on the amount of workers that they have. And, you know, the people that are writing articles every day, they'll continue on with their online version. But how that will affect the amount of employees they have is going to be a really, sh- real shock to them. And it's just a sad state of affairs for them. Racing TV, which is our paid for channel, um, which is similar to to TVG in that it shows everyday racing. They're going to continue, but you'd have to imagine subscriptions are going to have to, the cost of subscriptions are going to have to go down. Everyone is going to have a knock on effect on all areas of industries, whether it is the broadcast providers, the the newspapers, or whether it's just the racing trainers looking for owners fees. Because at the end of the day, owners are going to say, look, my horse needs to now go on a holiday. I'm going to take it back to my own stud farm. I'm not going to be paying training fees to you. Um, while I can look after it in my own home and trainers won't be able to pay their, their staff. So how it's going to affect every aspect of the industry is going to be, it's going to be unprecedented. And it's just a incredibly sad state of affairs that we're in.
1: It certainly is. The good news is, this, as all things, shall pass as well. Uh, there's a lot that we have to yeah. withstand before we get to the end of it. It's nothing like you and I have ever seen in our lifetimes, and and nothing like our parents have seen in their lifetimes either. I mean, this is this is truly something that we can't hold a reference point to. This will be the reference point going forward for all other catastrophes we have in our lives.
0: Yeah, and how we deal with it, Mike, is like and how uh, like different racing jurisdictions, how different industries deal with it, is really going to be a big testament to them and people will use this like they're using our politicians and our heads of states to see like how they tackled this there's going to be a lasting impression on them based on this and it's a big moment for racing like it is on any racing industry like any industry to see like how can we try to do the best for every single employee that's affected what's interesting is that it does expose the way that racing is governed in different jurisdictions and it's fascinating to see how Australia deals with it, how Hong Kong deals with it, how France, the UK and Ireland and actually having a very strong racing body like the BHA, like the HRI is a great testament to racing because they can make decisions on behalf of trainers and behalf of jockeys and behalf of the racetracks whereas in the US really kind of based on the racetracks based on states like i'd imagine state to state even though i have seen state by state but then you know i saw the kentucky derby they decided to move it without kind of and i don't know you correct me if i'm wrong discussing it with the rest of the triple crown all the other different racing jurisdictions and like what's that going to mean for the rest of the triple crown like i don't know like it would benefit probably the whole racing community if everyone would come together at this time, wouldn't it?
1: Yes and no. I mean, I'm usually pretty bullish about a central body and we need, you know, a racing compact so there's one governing body. But if that were the case, we'd be shut down completely right now. And the other thing with, you know, the Kentucky Derby is a completely different animal because their on track live, you know, revenue for the brick and mortar that day is astronomical. So they can't run the Kentucky Derby behind closed doors. That'll send them to a financial tailspin that it'll take years to make up. So I understand that decision. And I mean that's rugged American individualism at its best. They didn't check with anybody. They don't need to check with anybody. They can make that yeah. decision. And I, and yeah. and quite frankly, the Kentucky Derby is the only one that can do that because it is the biggest event in in yeah. American racing. So you know, it's for me, it's I'm kind of have a, a mixed view of it. But I have to say, I am not beholden to oh, it has to be the first Saturday of May. The Triple Crown has to be three races in five weeks. Things change. I'm fine with the change. And to be honest with you. The first Saturday in September, this will be the Derby we talk about for a hundred years. It could be the worst horse that's ever won the Derby, winning it. But we'll talk about this Derby for a hundred years because this was the pandemic Derby, right? Like it doesn't matter. Like when we look yeah. back at oh, it, no. it's it's going to be the best Derby we, you know, in a lot of people's minds because of you know the situation leading in.
0: What I'm interested in is like how the it affects trainers like preparation because are they going to prepare for just the Kentucky Derby as opposed to anything else that could happen beforehand? So you're right; it could be an opportunity for horses that i literally just going to say, I don't care about anything else. I'm just going to focus on, on this race. And if there's another race that comes up beforehand, like, that doesn't matter. Um, so it could throw up some interesting results.
1: Jess, I want to thank you so much. I wish we were talking under better circumstances, but, yeah, I mean, the world is what it is right now. And I really do implore you, please stay healthy and stay safe.
0: I will be, Mike. And likewise to you and your family, and hopefully we'll be back talking about more cheery, brilliant things like the fantastic Kentucky Derby winners.
1: Yeah, next time we do a show together, let's make it under uh, happier circumstances for certain.
0: Yeah, right. absolutely.
1: Thank you. That was, uh, that was Jess Stafford, kind of enough nice to join us from uh, the UK. When we return here on the TVG podcast, I will have our final thoughts before we wrap up episode 12. Well, that was interesting. We couldn't not talk about it. So we took the podcast there to the current pandemic the way it's affecting American life, and how it's affecting racing. And I think it's a discussion that everyone's going to continue to have until it's over, and then for years and generations afterwards. This is certainly an event we're not going to forget as, as a society, as a people, as as a species. I do want to try to forget about it at times, though. And I think about it a lot, I deal with it a lot, just like all of you do. I do have an opportunity, since I have the ability to record this podcast from home, I have an opportunity to do more of these podcasts than before I'm going to try to do that I want to put some podcasts out there they're not all going to be about coronavirus and COVID-19 if it enters into the conversation naturally that's fine but going forward my promise to you is that I'm going to use this podcast to the best of my ability to distract and entertain you and to accentuate what we're still able to do on a daily basis which is bring you live horse racing into your home that is what I want to try to do And that's what I'm going to do with this podcast going forward, episodes 13 and on. This was episode 12. I'm glad we had a chance to have this conversation. I'm glad we were able to talk to Jess. I'm glad we were able to talk to Kip. The good news is there is light at the end of the tunnel. We can't see it yet. I don't know if now is the time for unbridled optimism and talking about sunshine and puppy dogs. There's definitely some dark days ahead of us, but these two shall pass. And at some point we'll come out the other side. And we will have horse racing again and we will have horse racing at its highest levels. And if this is all done, 2020 will be the year of the pandemic. 2020 year one will probably be one of the most fun years of horse racing that we've ever had, because things will hopefully by then be back to normal. That's what we want. And when it does go back to normal, we at TVG shall go back to normal as well. And thank you so much for joining us. We really do appreciate you tuning into the podcast and we'll be coming with more episodes and hopefully with a degree of more frequency in the coming weeks.